I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but that's fucking what? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy is such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight, and that fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. I'm Michael Morgan and welcome to episode 147 of the Wocast. Joining me as always is G from Wo TV. What's up, G? What up, Mike? And happy birthday to you. Well, thank you. you. Well, you know something? I, I started my um, birthday celebrations a day early. And uh, my good, uh, significant and, and wonderful other took me to an incredible um, Brazilian diner, stroke restaurant, stroke bar, stroke eatery. And it was incredible. And now, I'm not sure if you've ever been to one of these. It's basically where they bring meat around on a skewer. Basically, you help yourself um, from what is essentially a buffet. So you can have like salads, you can have vegetables, you can have rice. And you bring that back to your table and they will, the, the, the restaurateur or the, um, the, the waiters, they'll actually bring around meat on a skewer so it's all you can eat really and me with my far self yep I, I made sure I had every single sample of meat known to man and it was absolutely delicious but I don't know about you but when I eat heavily I tend to fall asleep really really quickly so just before the fights I thought you know what I'm gonna put my head down for you know an hour four hours later oh my God. I wake up and I'm like, okay, I know I've missed a few. And apparently I missed one hell of a knockout. I think it was the opener of the, um, of the prelims, right? Yes, that was, um, let me double check. Wasn't it um, Serena or Soriano who knocked out uh, Piochetta? Piochetta. Mm. Man, it was a hell of a knockout too. Like uh, I believe it was like a straight left, and then he followed up beautifully with a right hook. Mm. And to be honest with you, the straight left had P- um, Pichota, you know, seeing stars while standing, and then the 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 right hook just put an end to all of that. And it was a beautiful way to start. Like it got me dis- hyped for the card, you know. <laughs> I saw your descriptor on Twitter. It killed me. Man was looking to God. <laughs> yeah, the the, le- the left hand straight had him looking at the light at the tunnel. Like I was wow. like, oh, he's looking at the light. Look, he's going towards the light, and it was just it was um, perfect stoppage. But he, I felt like the ref was a little bit too far. But it happens. But mm. Soriano pummeled him, and it was just like it just had me amped and ready for this like stacked card. I was like, that's how you start a prelim, baby. It was, it was yeah. great. I mean, it's just sticking with the prelims. Um, I know for me, this was a very stacked card and I just want to concentrate on the main uh, card itself. But I I obviously had an interest in the prelims with our guy, Chase Hooper, who had been on the show previously. Now, the fact is, you know, he's come off that developmental deal with the UFC and he was making his UFC debut proper. Talk about baptism of fire. I mean, Daniel Tamar is no slouch and, you know, he gave him hell for the first, I would say, two and a half minutes. Yeah, had him literally yeah. battered from pillar to post. And it, it almost made me think, damn, he ain't ready for the big leagues. But, I mean, he proved uh, everybody wrong. I, I, you know, 
secretly, deep down, I had every faith in him. But man, that was a worrying start. I mean, obviously, he secured the KO stroke TKO um, in the closing stanza of the first round. And to get a first round finish, obviously, um, in your UFC debut is some mean feat. But to come back from what essentially was the brink of death um, did look pretty impressive. I was quite impressed by Chase Hooper's uh, debut. Oh, absolutely. Um, I just thought that the way he faced adversity in the first round, I think um, we shared your sentiments, Michael. I was also in a state of panic at the beginning <laughs> of the round. Like when, And first of all, you know, Chase is somebody that's good on the ground, will take mm. your back and whatnot. And, the, and then I turn on the TV and Daniel Tamar's got him against the cage in some type of guillotine hold. And Chase is like running up the cage trying to get out of it. It just looked... It looked horrible. Then he got hit with this heavy right hand and Chase fell back, but he ate it. And then once Chase started to scale his back and and get the dominant position and take him down to the ground, Mm. I was like, it's pretty much over. But I will say I almost had a heart attack watching Daniel Tamar not tap to that um, rear naked choke that Chase was just sinking around his neck. And kudos to Daniel for getting out of it, but he couldn't get past that TKO loss with that vicious ground and pound from from who from chase which was just a phenomenal statement to make for a debut oh big time and in terms of those submissions i mean the transitions were beautiful i mean he went from he went from neck crank he went from uh face crank to uh well trying to get or sink in that rear naked choke so yes there was like levels to it yeah (laughs) kudos to him for for you know pursuing the cause and for you know staying the course as well you know like you say coming back from that rather shaky start you know that was confidence and confidence um to the nth degree i mean speaking of which i know i said i was going to concentrate or i think we should concentrate on the main card but Mm -hmm. our guy now or i would say my guy mike perry um against jeff neal um, just just rewind just ever so slightly. I didn't know you picked Jeff going into this fight because I just automatically assumed you, just like myself, were quite high on Mike Perry. No, not at all. I <laughs> yeah, no, like not not to like you know gas myself up or anything. But mm. I had been watching quite a few of Jeff. He was on my radar. I had seen quite a few of Jeff Neal's um, fights, and what I learned from Jeff Neal is that whenever he goes up against like a brawler, for instance, yeah. someone like. Nico Price, someone like, um, what's his name, Frank Camacho, who's like so much fun. He's a fan favorite in the U.S. because mm. because he's like a brawler and he's always in somebody's face. I find that Jeff Neal's technical prowess just shuts all of that down. He picks his shots well and he is fundamentally just a... Uh, um, a technical practitioner. That's it. You know, Not, he doesn't overextend. He doesn't showboat. He doesn't do more than what he's supposed to do. And he picks the right shots at the right range and you're going down. And if you look up his history online, he wins majority by like TKO punches in the first or second round, yeah. uh, submission in the first round. So this is somebody that's taking people out quite quickly because he's so technical. Mm. And then when he does go to decision, he's winning them unanimously. So it's someone that quiet is kept is on the prelims, but as someone that is making a statement. But if you don't watch him closely, you're not aware of it. So when I saw that they booked him against Mike Perry, who is a brawler, mm. but also a fan favorite, I knew everybody was going to say, oh, Mike Perry's going to smoke him. Y'all like him. He's popular. He's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But when you put him up against somebody that is a practitioner of some sort, like Cowboy 
submitted him. Why? He's good on the ground. Jeff Neal is too technical for Mike Perry. So when I saw the the destruction in round one, I wasn't surprised at all. And there were quite a few people like you, Michael, that were like, Gina, how did you know? And I'm like, that's why you got to watch the prelims, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's some I'm, killers down there, Mike. I, I'm too busy falling asleep after heavy meals to catch up on the prelim. But I yeah, was and really you get a impressed. pass I, I was with your really UK times. With, yeah, exactly. I was really impressed with, with Jeff Neal because it looked to me, I, I probably i am mistaken here, but you know, I think that there is um, psychological scarring um, going on with Mike Perry and you know his previously broken nose because it looked as though he was almost like turtling up, cowering, um, basically covering his face in order not really? to get hit on his nose. When he, when he, when he, well, when when um, Jeff Neal actually got into the ground and basically was um, doing the ground and pound, um, it looked as though you know Mike, in I have to, I have to say, uncharacteristic fashion was turtling up and particularly it, he crossed his arms across his nose that's what it looked like oh wow I, that is not something that I noticed I'd have to rewatch the fight but would I be surprised that he has some type of psychological barrier due to his nose yeah. absolutely not I mean the damage that he took and also the quick turnaround from such a detrimental injury was kind of alarming to me and mm. also fighters have a history of that when GSP jabbed Josh Koscheck's face and broke his orbital Josh always tended to flinch whenever you threw a jab at him and he just was always a little off after that fight as far as you know hitting him in that same area so I do believe there can be like a psychological barrier in fighters when like you've suffered a just a horrific injury and I wouldn't be surprised but I'm, I'm definitely going to rewatch it to see if I notice that as well yeah it's like I say it, it was particularly when you know he was getting pummeled on the ground you know I'd, I'd not or I'd never seen that out of Mike before you know actually crossing his arms to kind of defend his nose but um moving on to the main card Piotr Jan uh, versus Uriah Faber now before we even get into this when they were playing the VT, when they were doing the preamble, when they were doing the, the, the pre-fight um, video, um, okay, albeit that I'm watching on a 50-inch uh, uh, 4K HD TV, but am I reading anything into what I was watching there in that Uriah Faber looked old? Now, I'm saying as a 50-year-old man now, you know, yeah. looking at somebody who is 10 years younger, man... The crow's feet around his eyes, the, 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 the bags and the lines, it just looked like hella prominent. And I was trying to figure out, OK, is this the work of, you know, really good um, optics in terms of, you know, I'm looking at this on a 4K TV. Or did you see exactly the same thing? Because he looked as though he was showing his age. Um, yeah, before... Um he even walked out to the octagon to, to mm. you know, fight Peter Yan. I agree with you. I was watching some type of pre-fight buildup or maybe an interview, and I remember I even tweeted it. It's so funny you say that. I was like, yo, Uriah Favor, it looks old. He looks like oh, wow. he has aged significantly. And I did notice the age and the same things that you noticed. He just, his mm. face just looks like he's much older. Yeah. And although, like... You know, he's still in fantastic shape and whatnot, but I do think how he looked and his physicalities, it translated into his performance tonight because, yes. I mean, last night, because Peter Yan was just walking him down and mm. Faber was just retreating, 
just moving backwards, trying to land some shots or just, you know, swinging with a little bit of a left hand. And I didn't really see anything too significant from Faber. And when he did have double underhooks, he couldn't really do anything with them, which is like a desirable position for Faber because, you know, he's such a good wrestler. Mm-hmm. So, And then just the showboating from Peter Yan was just so, like, scary. Like, when he dropped him with that left hand and the right fouled up by the right hand, he was putting his hands out like, yeah, and what? And then walked over to him to do the ground and pat. I was like, man, this guy's a killer. See, you that's know? when you knew it was over for you, right? Because that level of showboating, considering, you know, his pedigree, considering where he's come from, considering his record from, mm-hmm. you know, someone who I reckon in your eyes, eyes is relatively unknown. And in his circles, you know, he was probably thinking, well, who's this guy? I've really haven't really got anything really to worry about here. But that showboating must have been so demoralized, and especially the relentless pace that was following um, well, basically, the time that they actually met eyes in the octagon, he was in pursuit mode from the get-go. From the from the beginning mm. of the of the fight until the very end, with the left kick that the left kick and Joe was right in such short range and distance, he fired up a kick to the man's face. He didn't even hit him with his shins yeah. like a, you know, technically most fighters want to throw a kick and hit you with the shin because it's like hitting someone with a bat. And Peter was close enough that he just he caught him with his foot and sent your eye flying. How about that elbow? I think in the clinch or that opened up his face and he had that contusion where they yeah. almost we thought we was going to start the stop the fight. Mm. Plenty of times he dropped him, and then while he's dropping him, he puts his two hands out and goes, what, what's up now, and walks forward. Like, I was frightened. And that's, like, why Peter Yan is so dangerous, because Peter reminds me of Yo Romero, and I know that sounds crazy, but the way Peter can figure people out while fighting Mm -hmm. is a beauty to see. And you see him just get better and better as time goes on, because he's just figuring you out, figuring out the distance. He did it with Jimmy Rivera, you know, and then after a while, once he figures it out, then you start to see the showboating. Then you start to see people getting dropped and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're like, oh, Peter's got his card. He figured him out. And I saw it last night. And it, it's, I just cannot wait for him to either fight for a title or start fighting, you know, the killers, Aljo and, and, and um, Henry Cejudo, possibly. Like, I can't wait to see Yan pushed. It was nice to see him showboating and beat someone that's not on his level, but I would like to see him tested soon. Well, for me, that was a significant test, given Uriah's caliber, given, as I mentioned, his record. And I'm pleased that they allowed the fight to actually continue because that was clearly a hematoma that, you know, indicated that there was some kind of orbital bone damage, if not a breakage there. So I was very, very surprised that they, you know, allowed that to continue. But talking of surprises... Um, Jose Aldo surprised me against Marlon Marais. Personally, I feel as though he took that fight. I was very shocked when, um, you know, uh, Marais actually walked away with that decision because really and truly, okay, it's worrying, yes, that in the lead up that, you know, there was a lot of talk about Jose Aldo's um, weight. But I think I tweeted this and I included you in it as well that, you know, you and I were actually worried about, you know, this grown man, this grown adult, this man at his big, big age. Yeah. We were worried about a professional athlete who has cut weight before and unnecessarily so because he looked great. He looked great when he stepped on the scales and he looked great when he actually stepped in the octagon. But what is a worry for me is what has happened to Jose Aldo's kicks? 
Yeah, it was the topic of discussion for my whole Twitter feed. And not only was it a topic of discussion, it was annoying Mm. to hear Joe Rogan refer to him as vintage Aldo or old Aldo. And I'm just like, this is not vintage Aldo because he would be chopping down Marlon Marias' leg. And believe it or not, the stats, I think Aldo threw one leg kick in which Marlon caught and countered. So no, this was not vintage Aldo. This is Aldo at a new weight class. And older, although that is, although he's fighting well, he's fighting with, you know, with his age and now has adjusted to his age, but is still very good at fighting. This is not vintage Aldo. You know, and I found that to be so annoying. You're right. It is annoying. And it makes me think, I, I hope that this isn't the case, but. There are some markers which um, color commentators or those commentators have to hit. And that is, they, it, this is what it seems like. They run out predetermined or pre, um, they run out uh, phrases which they know they have to hit in terms mm-hmm. of markers. And that was probably one of the markers, one, one of the predetermined phrases that he had to actually hit because yeah, none of what he was saying, because I noticed this in, uh, in a few other fights as well, uh, uh, points that which he was raising didn't have any relevance or any uh, resonance or even um, bear any resemblance to what I was watching on screen. Yeah. It was like... Right, because it's like Joe will say something and you're like, yeah, you're like, Joe says something and you're like, but that's not what I'm seeing. Yes. Or like, I get that a fighter's tough, but he's losing the fight. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. Jose Aldo threw one kick. We all know vintage Aldo was someone that destroyed Uriah Faber's with kicks. Mm. That is the man that need Chad Mendez in like half a millisecond while switching positions real quick and sent that man flying. Yeah. I didn't see that last night, but I did see a boxer. I did see a Jose Aldo that comes forward now mm. instead of uh, uh, the guy that was like a bit of a counter striker and made you pay for coming in. I see someone that's coming straight forward and is in love with his hands and he hits hard and he's also head hunting. He was trying to take off Marlon Marais's head, yeah. which is something that I don't really remember him doing. And as far as this fight, Mike, I don't think it was a robbery that Jose Aldo lost because when a fight is close and it can go either way, it's not a robbery. It's that no. close that it can go either way. It wasn't a blatant win for Aldo and then Mar- Marlon took it home. It could have went either way. And the reason why I think it went towards Marlon Marais is because he skated on his bike a lot and towards the third round he turned up the output and Mm. he also did have one takedown versus none to Jose Jose Aldo I'm no judge but I'm thinking you know riding his bike and avoiding some shots and also the takedown and then turning it up just a little bit to eke by the win in the third Mm. got him Mm. the win but you know Jose looked like he was the aggressor he was coming forward cutting him off so it looks like he won but like I said Mike it could go either way but I am concerned. I mean, I know Jose looked good on the scale. And I know he even looked good at bantamweight. Yeah. But is this something he's going to continue to do? Because he did look like he was dying in the process. So, you know, I don't really know. And then also, don't sleep, Mike. Overnight, Henry Cejudo just made, like, a really strange video again. Totally cringeworthy. Oh. And calling... And <laughs> I wasn't ready for your disgust. <laughs> he, it was, and it was cringeworthy to a T. There's hired women like Colby... What? He's talking crazy. And when he's done speaking and calling out Jose Aldo, he, he takes a dive into the water. The video's over abruptly. It's very strange. But 
um, long story short, Henry calls out Jose Aldo, which is so strange to me. Because Very. why would Aldo fight you after a loss? He should not get a title fight. He should be rematching Marlon or looking for another opponent to make his way to Henry. And Henry should have been impressed with Peter Yan's performance. And instead he said nothing and called out a legend that just lost in a close fight. It's bizarro world in the UFC right now to me. You know something? Not really. I'll tell you why. Because I know that Dana White was just like, you know, the majority of my Twitter feed, um, thinking that, you know, Jose Aldo should have been the one with his hand raised. So much so that, you know, he was even talking about the fact that, you know, he should be treated as though he didn't actually lose. And, you know, Cejudo um, wouldn't be a bad shout. But technically, he lost. Yeah. He probably needs to rematch Marlon, beat him in convincing fashion, and then Mm. fight Henry Cejudo. And even then, I guess we're skipping him because he's Jose Aldo and the legend. But then you have Peter Yan, who just destroyed um, Uriah Faber. And he's pretty much destroying everybody that he puts in front of him. What did Jostanga say his record was again? Like, he has a considerable um, winning winning streak in his um, division right now. So why... Look, I have it right in front of me. With Uriah Favor, he has, let me get, this is crazy. One, mm. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fight win streak in the UFC. And you're telling me Jose Aldo gets to cut the line and fight and fight Henry Cejudo because he, he's merely a legend and he had a close fight with Marias? No. Mm. And don't forget Aljo Sterling is in the runnings as well. He has some type of established win streak in the division as well. So I just, you know. I don't know what Henry's doing or if he's chasing legacy, but it'd be nice if we had a champion that kind of just defended the contenders, in my opinion. But I get it. Him versus Jose Aldo is going to sell a bit more than Peter Gann. Exactly. And that's what I was about to say. Narratives, as you know, define fights these days. And um, stories um, are really one of the things which, you know, the UFC are really keen on. If they can actually... Um, drive a narrative that obviously puts bums in seats so you know I'm glad yeah. you get it because that is what I think may be at play here particularly where you know it was a bit of an odd thing for Dana to kind of like give any kind of like um, uh, platform to in terms of an idea but you know yeah. even he was saying you know perhaps he should be treated as though he didn't lose Moving well, on I'm to, thinking giving uh, him a win bonus, not necessarily a title shot. You know what I mean, mm. Dana? Like, <laughs> maybe a win bonus, but no, I understand it. There's people like me, Mike, that want to see who's the best in the division, regardless of whether they're entertaining or not, yeah. or if they sell seats. And then, then you have to take into consideration the entertainment aspect of the organization. So I totally get it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, moving on to Amanda Nunes and uh, GDR, Jermaine, Jermaine um, Durandamy. I have to say, this played out exactly as you and I thought it would. It wasn't ever going to be a walk in the park. It wasn't going to be a quickly run thing. And, um, you know, I I was very impressed with GDR and what she actually brought to the table. Obviously, once it got to the ground, um, obviously, she was like a fish out of water and it it was never going to look pretty for her. But I, I really do believe, you know, Amanda Nunes has solidified her GOAT status. Yeah, and she, um, I mean, we all knew that at some point she was going to try to take her down and test the new and improved GDR that has been working on her ground game. But this is Amanda Nunes we're talking about, the GOAT. Exactly. So you have to deal with someone that is not only well-rounded, but on the verge of becoming one of the best female fighters in the world. And Mm. the reason for that is because she's disgustingly well-rounded and good at every facet 
of you know martial arts and her cardio is not waning as as much as it used to so it's like she basically had to fight a beast while you're still learning you know while gdr is still learning grappling and to be honest with you i thought her grappling had improved believe it or not but just not enough she was Mm. incapable of like getting off the floor i was with joe rogan on this and the commentators like you have to get up you can't just like turtle up up kicks turtle up up kicks it's not just offense from the ground you gotta you know what I mean? You got to get her to stop. You got to get Amanda to stop her from striking you so much. But then at the same time, you got to find a way to get up. And I did not see that in GDR. And she spent a considerable amount of time on the ground. What'd you think? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You know, one of the things that I'm kind of like concerned about, though, you know, what do you do next with Amanda Nunes? I mean, right. I, I put that question to you. I mean, t- to be honest with you, in the back of my mind, you know, this whole Z for boxing thing, I, 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 I think a cunning plan has been hatched here. Clarissa Shields was in the background. Uh, oh, she was in the crowd. You, well, she, not, not only was she in the crowd, but she was in the background of this fight and in this fight build-up. When you look at what they were doing of her, um, this is the media team, you had Clarissa Shields... Um, pacing the octagon like um, fake warming up in the octagon you had her holding court with the media um, in the background um, behind the scenes as well this seems like uh, something which could fly and I think uh, be quite well suited to you know something which could sit quite well with Zifa boxing um, Amanda Nunes versus Close Shields I think that's actually going to that's something that's going to come to fruition I, right. I think I can see the writing on the walls as she was mm. in attendance yesterday. I keep hearing rumors. I keep seeing articles. I keep, and Clarissa is now saying that she's training in MMA and yada yada. So not only do I think this will come to fruition, I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, Amanda goes to boxing, Clarissa beats her there. Clarissa then goes to MMA. She gets beat there. But at the same yeah. time, we're all watching, even though yes. we pretty much know the outcome. Mm. We all know that whatever strength you're in, if you're a boxer and you bring an MMA fighter to your realm, the boxer's going to win. We all know the outcome. Clarissa will smoke her in boxing and Amanda will destroy her, you know, in MMA. Even though we know what's going to happen, we will watch. And there's no options left for Amanda. She's pretty much beaten everybody. Mm. And then what's the, 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 the other weight class that she's in? I can't remember at the top of my head, but there's like no challengers. There's not enough women in the actual weight class. <laughs> Mm. There you go, the featherweight class. So you can't even do anything really up there. Then she's beating everybody, and she's she's cleaning out the division. So you might as well start having fun with her. I don't want to see it. You know me, I'm hardcore missed by the book. Because I already know the outcome, it's not tantalizing to me. But I would watch it, and I know that's the only option left for her, you know? I I think I'm glad you used that word, Um, Tantalizing. I think that's the next stage of UFC Stroke Zufa Boxing's tantalization for the fans. They're going to create compelling ma- matchups which segue neatly between boxing and MMA. I can see oh, in the future, you know, in the near future, we're talking 2020s literally around the corner, that we're going to see these being more commonplace. Remember there was a time that there were so many um, M- or mixed martial artists who wanted to you know, try their hand at boxing. That desire is still there. And that's why I feel that, you know, this could be the testing ground. This could be the first um, test or the first matchup you see in Z for boxing. Yeah. And I, and, but here's the thing. It's like, 
when will that get old? Because it's like, I'm telling you exactly what's going to happen. Boxers mm. will beat them up in boxing, MMA mm. people will beat them up in MMA. So it's just <laughs> like, I'm kind of looking forward to getting past that, like when that's not a, a big deal. Because I feel like even though James Tony did it with Randy Couture and Muhammad mm. Ali has even fought a wrestler, I feel like Conor McGregor really blew that idea out the map because it was so successful even though he lost. So now you see people like Masvidal and Tyron Woodley really trying to get that payday. Even Henry Cejudo's trying to fight Lomo. And it's just, I get that it's a craze, but once the the outcome becomes repetitive, I wonder if it'll die down a bit, you know? But people will tune in, including myself that's complaining about it. So I'll, you know, I'll watch anything. So don't mind me talking shit, but clearly I'm going to be watching it and talking about it on the show with you, so... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the co-main uh, featherweight championship bout between Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky uh, messed up my picks. I have to say, I was very shocked and very yeah. surprised with how this actually panned out. And I put it down to one thing and one thing only. Max Holloway has this almost routine where he'll basically take it to you in terms of um, kind of like feeling you out for the first two rounds. He's downloading he all this data. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, towards the latter part, he will actually just use what he has learned against you because mm-hmm. he spends almost half of the clash actually trying to figure out, okay, where, where is it my opponent's coming from? What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? What does right. he do What's when I do range? this? The, yes, exactly. Yeah. And he spends about two rounds doing that. I just feel that you know after the t- after the two rounds he spent doing all of that he never he never caught up he just never no. got back on track and I also think Alexander Volkanovsky beat him at his own game mm. and did the same thing but faster yes and did exactly what we watch Holloway do to other people but did it to him and it was phenomenal he mm. struck him he kept Max at the end of his punches the lo- the the left kick not the left kick, excuse me, the, the low calf kicks were killing Holloway, no matter how much of a poker face Max had on. That stance switching was an indication that that shit was hurting and getting yeah. to him, and that affects your output. That affects your performance. If you cannot use your lead leg or, you, or sometimes your rear leg, you can't really sit down on your punches or, or really throw a correct punch, and you're in pain. And I think that's what that was the beginning of the end. And he was his in and out movement, Alexander. Then he was strong. It was, it was a wonderful showing. And if you look at the stats, which I'm doing now, Alexander clearly outstruck him in total strikes and significant strikes. Massively. So it was, yeah, he, he won square and fair again and used his own game against him. It was a mm. beautiful performance, though. It's weird not to see Max as champ, though, right? Isn't that strange? Yeah, that that was a little bit um, odd. And what I like, though, you know, he is the epitome of, okay, this is how championship behavior unfolds when you're not the champ. You know, bringing his son to the post-fight presser, actually just fessing up and saying, okay, these are my shortcomings. I'm going to get back in there. I'm going to download yeah, the data. Eating a bowl of cereal or something, too, it, like they exactly. were <laughs> Exactly. But the, the, the fact is, he's bringing his son with him when he wins. He's bringing his son with him when he loses brilliant that's why people like him like people Mm. don't like sore losers 
You know, like, no disrespect to Rhonda, she did a lot for the game, but when she wouldn't speak to the press, when she held the pillow to her face, and when she blacked out any type of media discussion about her loss, people don't like that. We like to see Max Holloway take that loss, give props to his opponent, bring his son, eat a bowl of cereal. Mm. Conor McGregor, Dominic Cruz did, did it in similar fashion. They give praise to their opponents. They don't necessarily run out the cage like someone else we're going to discuss later. And <laughs> it, <laughs> mm-hmm. Although I'm glad he did that. We'll, we'll touch on that when we get to that portion. But yeah. this is why people like Max Holloway. And I also like Max because he's not a Henry Cejudo. He's Mm. never chased a money fight. He did the Dustin thing. He got smoked. He went back down. And if you notice, in the featherweight division, he fights every rightful contender that's supposed to fight him, whether they draw seats or not. Facts. That, to me, is so dope. Mm. Mm. I mean, talking about about sore losers, though, uh, Mm. Usman versus Covington. Now, I'm so glad I did not enter the press-up challenge for this. I'm so glad I didn't put any money on this. I'm so glad that, you know, although we had the preamble, and this is where I was coming from, that, you know, I was expecting a win out of Covington. Uh, I have to say that was a fantastic performance, bearing in mind that this was somebody who had his jaw broken in the second round. Now, okay, <laughs> the, the way that um, a lot of people have actually spun this is it's it's fitting that his jaw was broken given how much shit he was talking. Yeah, but, you know, you've got to get... You've got to... Yeah, he had the MAGA slapped out mm-hmm. of him. Yeah, um, slapped right out of his mouth. Good for him. Wow. Um, I, I, I have to give him, like, maximum props, maximum respect because that was an Absolutely. out if he ever needed one and he didn't choose to take that route. I mean, when you look at this whole um, thing and how it played out, it was a little odd, if you ask me. Here was uh, Division One and Division II um, wrestler going head-to-head but not using any ounce of their God-given ability, which, you know, from what Covington was saying, would give him... Uh, the upper hand. I wonder. To, I, I wonder if there yeah. was an agreement before this, you know, to keep it standing because it just seemed a little bit of a of an omission. Do you know what I think happened? Mm. Does, is this going to sound crazy? Yes, Colby is a D one wrestler and Kamaru is a D two wrestler. Let's yeah. not forget. You do remember his performance against Tyrone Rudley. Tyrone Rudley is also a D one wrestler. Mm. What what we're seeing here is that Usman is the better mixed martial artist wrestler. He is, although he is D2, he has taken his American wrestling and applied it to mixed martial arts and the octagon better than Tyrone Woodley, even yeah. though he was a D2. Yeah. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. He's better on the back foot. He's better, you know, in the clinch. He, he's better with the single leg takedowns. And I think the reason why maybe you and Chisanga picked Colby is because you were worried about that output that he can... He can yes, um, yes, exactly and that, I, spot on. Yes. And I, and I can see why you thought that, but I always thought that Kamara was the better striker. So I wasn't really, really? surprised. Yes, because... When I was watching previous Kamaru Usman fights, he's just more technical. Colby is wild and swinging stuff. And although they're connecting, it's still wild. Mm. You know, and Kamaru is not wild with his striking. And also, too, he folded Sergio Marais with a hard right hand. Yeah, and he I, also, I, I, yes. I, I think I missed that mm-hmm. when we were talking the last time. You're absolutely right. He Absolutely like right. Chair. The yeah. hard, one of the hardest punches I've seen. It was a prelim fight, and that's what caught my eye about Kamara. I'll never forget because that was on a prelim, and I remember being mm. like, who is that guy? 
and I tweeted about him, and then um, Crooklyn MMA and I went back and forth on him because this was a while ago before he was mm. even on the radar. Mm. Then if you watch him fight Tyron Woodley, in the clinch, he's hitting him with some hard elbows. Yeah. And Colby's not very good. Like when he separates from somebody, like when he has you in the clinch and he separates, or when he goes in to take you down, his defense is not so good. And I remember thinking when he does that with Camaro, Kamara was going to hit him and hit him hard, and that's what we saw. A lot of times when Kobe did hit him with some combinations, yeah. the counter was harder than the two, the the, count, the combinations, and it made yeah. Kobe respect him. So I wasn't shocked at all, but what I was surprised about, Mike, is that they did not wrestle. Mm. Like, what the fuck? I was like, is this really a boxing match? Very few kicks. Nobody even tried to take each other down because I think it was just bad blood. And my theory, I got got lost in a tangent. My theory is this. Mm. I think Colby knew that Kamara was a better wrestler than him, but I think he also fell in love with his hands, that, that output. I think that Robbie Lawler fight not only convinced fans and Colby that he just has hands and that he can put it out there. Yeah. And I think that's why you saw him stand with Kamara, but he didn't realize that Kamara is technically more sound than him. And I got that impression. I'm going to say it again, Mike. Remember, UFC 244 media mm. scrum. Mm. You saw the videos where I interviewed the fighters. All of them picked Usman, and they always, all of them told me he's just better than Colby. And I think it's because they knew that his striking was just a bit more technically sound. As fans, we don't see it because Kamara yeah. controls people in the octagon. Yeah. You know, it makes sense to me. But. Long story short, Mike, I am in my everlasting glory this morning when I woke up. It was <laughs> one of the most important fights in UFC history to me. Yeah. I'm glad Colby ran out because he didn't get to ruin the moment. Kamaro said he did it for the world, and I honestly felt that way. I did not care for the stereotypes being perpetuated by Colby. I did not care for him talking about someone's dead father, and I just mm. wanted someone to beat him up, and I got my wish. Oh, big time. And closed his mouth at that because I'm guessing right now, you know, he's sitting there with a wide up jaw considering he'd actually but he's broken it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, tweeting, he's tweeting like that because that's and the then, only part of his body which is working right now and right, enabling right. him to communicate. And not only that, like, but he doesn't need to communicate. His fans on Twitter, if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of quiet today because they're getting on my nerves. Oh, really? Give, oh, yes. And I just, I was just tweeting Chisanga this morning. Like, mm. me and Chisanga gave Colby a compliment because, believe it or not, as much as I could not stand his stick and I hate racism and what he was doing to MMA and the politics, mm. I can recognize that this guy is a great fighter and tough son of a bitch. You know what I mean? And yeah. I can say that and not like be okay with how he promoted the fight and Chisanga did something similar and apparently they were Uncle Tomming him and I had some few people really? say some shit to me yes and then you get the other side so now after I gave Colby a compliment now I'm you know I'm being an asshole on Twitter I'm, I'm a Kamaro Usman fan I wanted him to win so of course I'm giving him compliments mm. so what do you get oh Colby fought well and then now the excuses it was an early stoppage which it was not he was winning in the scorecard. The fifth round was a 10-8 round. Please stop. You know what I mean? Like, Just on that, just pause just for a second, the early stoppage. <clears throat> there was a lot of store put by, obviously, Colby, that, um, you know, that had actually, um, that, well, <laughs> there, there, was, there was the element in his mind that perhaps he could have turned things around and, you know, Mark Goddard actually ruin things for him. I mean, what's your what's your whole take on this being an early stoppage, which to me is just ludicrous? I, I 
you took the words out of my mouth. I think it's insane, absolutely mm. ludicrous, because people forget that the ref's job is to ensure fighter safety. Not to, you know, like when a fighter is too damn tough for their own good, like Kobe Covington, because that's what it was. He was never going to quit. And that's why I, he, he somewhat got my respect. He was never going to quit. Yeah. If you notice in the last round, he was getting dropped a lot. He was backpedaling. His hands were dropping. His face looked like trash. Usman was getting the better of him. Yeah. Save him. It's over. It's over. His jaw is broken. He said it in the in, in the fourth round when he came out of there. Why does why does the ref need to wait until he's killed, his face is broken, or until he's concussed and out cold like Jessica I or something like that? Why? Stop the fight. Mm-hmm. It's over. You know exactly. I, mean? I, I did not see any punches to the back of the head i've seen all types of stuff mike it's unreal i, I think punches you know to the back of the head early stoppage come on you you, you kind of have to look at the ref involved mark goddard is one of the most highly respected judges um across mma and not just Absolutely. for the ufc i mean you know he's highly respected in that he's consulted uh, across the board when it comes mm-hmm. to promotion so for Colby to actually level that at Mark Goddard, I think, you know, he, he picked the wrong in there. And, you know, I think as well, obviously he would say that that would be his perspective, but he should be grateful to Mark for having saved him. Yeah, and it's not only that. Like, stop crying. His stock, Colby Covington's stock, went through the roof last night. Fans are going to clamor to see him continue. Some of them are going to continue to see that stick. Some people enjoyed that racism and all the problems that he brought, and some people liked his humor. So he's going to do it all over again. And not only that, this young man can back up, backs up his shit talk. This ain't Chael Sonnen. This ain't somebody that talks and then gets choked out. This is someone that can also fight. Yeah. His stock went through the roof. And he's just going to get better, and he's going to talk even more shit. And I, I tell you this, I guarantee you Usman and him fight again. I guarantee you the fans will want to see it. And oh, then definitely. Dana, I, I heard some rumor or I read something online. Dana's talking about maybe Woodley versus Colby. So they, they like this theme. They like this problematic theme. You know what I mean? Like Poor Leon Edwards. So oh, already Dana White's talking about... Usman versus Masvidal. So he's now talking about Covington versus Woodley. Poor Leon Edwards. I mean, can the guy catch a break? I'll tell you something. Look, for the amount of time that he's been passed over, for the amount of time that he's been overlooked, for the amount of time that he's basically been, um, well, pushed by the wayside, I'd be very, very surprised come the end of 2020 if Leon Edwards is still in the UFC. I mean, from what I gather, he's either coming to the end or at the end, I think he's got one more fight, I think. Don't quote me on that. I think he's got one more fight on his current UFC contract. I think, you know, perhaps he might want to pursue free agency. He really should give that some thought. I can't see him doing that. He seems like a hard nose for the UFC. I think guys Mm. want to be in the biggest game and the you know the biggest show in the game you know and I and you know why I say that's because while you're speaking I was like does he know that Leon just recently said that he believes that he will be fighting for the title in 2020 and when he said that I look like that meme when the guy turns away with the cup like <laughs> you know what I mean like and no yes. disrespect to Leon Edwards I'm a huge fan um mm. shout out to you Leon but I look like that meme because I was like, oh, poor baby. Like, you are being Raphaela Sunsau. Like, they are waiting for you to lose probably now so that you'll go away and now you have to start back over. Yes. Like, 
And when I tell you the amount of overlooking for this dude is, is remarkable, it's, it's, it's maybe past the Rafael Asensio level. And it's not even just with the UFC. If I tweet about Leon Edwards, the fans just destroy him. They don't want to see it, Mike. I had someone be like, he's not even title shot ready. I was like, bro, eight wins in a wow. row. What do you mean? And then he didn't even respond because he's like, mm. true. But you see how their <laughs> attitude towards him. Yes, yes. Immediately someone tweeted me. He doesn't deserve one. I was like, he beat Rafa, RDA, Gunnar Nelson, Donald Cerrone. I can keep going, going, going. Vincent Luque, are you nuts? He's only lost to Kamara Usman. And it's so funny. Kamara Usman just had a press conference prior to his beautiful win over Colby Covington. They mm. did like a champion panel. Mm. Do you know who was his hardest fight to date? Leon Edwards. Bingo. But yet mm. we're not building the storyline. We not it's it's on it's Leon's only loss in the UFC is the current champion. Yeah. And and Kamara Usman was like he's the hardest guy I had to fight. I had to think to fight this dude. Yeah. Like are you Exactly. Me? He had to revert to his wrestling because of the superior striking of Leon Edwards. Yes. You know, I I goes to I show hope. you how great Usman is too, because Leon is on a tear as well, and there's only mm. one person that's the rightful champion that's you know taking him down. So yeah, I, I hope you're right. I hope you know Leon does actually stick at the UFC, but I don't know about you. I wouldn't be sticking around in an organization which treats me like a stepchild, which doesn't actually give me my due. I give me my propers. Plus, and when you, you think about it, someplace else. yes, one hundred percent, he would. He's mm -hmm. hot property right now, but he's just not been recognized as such. Plus, yep. you're in the UFC because you're pursuing the title. If that is continually being dangled in front of you like some proverbial carrot and you've been beaten with a stick every single time you've approached it well of course you're going to look elsewhere but you know I hope I'm wrong but it strikes me that free agency might be something which might be a better option for him considering what he's going through right now well, Mike, I think if, because, you know, I, I just saw this article that I'm speaking of. If I find it, I'll send it to you. But he did mm. say he thinks he's fighting for the title in 2020. However, let's just say that doesn't happen in 2020. Then I could see him, you know, kind of agreeing with you and maybe um, testing the waters with free agency. And I wouldn't be able to blame him then either. You know what I mean? But he, he is dead set on fighting for it in 2020. But I think he should maybe start causing a little bit of drama and, and get his name out there, or if, or if he does finally get a, a fight booked, they should maybe start training for a finish. And that's just the travesty here. He's like, not. How do you even do that? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's, he's not in that mindset. Drama mm -mm. isn't on the agenda when it comes to yeah. Leon Edwards. Yeah. It's all about having his fighting talk for him, do the shouting for him, which, you know, evidently it's not actually. It's not actually happening. You know, Kamara Usman might help out with that because I'm, you know, I've seen some stuff too where Kamara Usman favors Leon Edwards over Masvidal. Mm. You know, so he, it seems like our champion is mulling over um, Masvidal and Leon Edwards. And to be honest with you, I don't think it works in Masvidal's favor to fight Usman. I think Usman beats him. And I think it's better for like. You know, Masvidal to be like this party guy right now. Like, he's the BMF. He might fight Nick. He might fight Connor. Let him rock out and be a little MMA celebrity before Usman just stops the party, you know? Yeah. So, who knows? It could be it could be um, Kamara Usman who calls for it. Maybe they grant him the Leon Edwards fight. So, you never know. Exactly. The champion well, does decide, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, 
That about wraps up this episode of the Wocast. As usual, you can catch me on Twitter at MikeWoTV if you wanted to discuss any of the points which myself and G at WoTV, you can catch her on Twitter as well to discuss any of the points which we have both raised. Now, there's another episode coming down the pipe later on in the week, so we'll catch you then. Until then, make some trouble. As always, and happy birthday, Mike.